Great to have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Really glad to have this young man on. He is uh, a student at the University of Michigan, which is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. If you don't know what, what Ann Arbor is, it's not that far from Detroit. His name is Charles Hillu. Charles, good to see you, man. Nice to meet you. Good to see you too, Joe. Thanks for having me on. You're a senior at UM. Um, as yep. you know, I've got a history in Michigan. Gun to my head. Am I blue or am I green? I'm green. Now, does that make you mad? Charles, do you, do you care? Only a little bit, but I think we can get past it. <laughs> well, I think we probably can, too. I think it was more about uh, basketball uh, in such a rivalry. U, U of M always was better than um, than Michigan State, unless it was 1979. Or when I was a, a TV news anchor in Lansing, we won the championship there under Tom Izzo as well. Um, but it, it's a big sports rivalry. But, of course, if you're in Michigan, we kind of like everybody in Michigan. These schools are very, very liberal. And I'm guessing that you're not a very liberal guy. You're a guy who's actually going to tell the truth, and you have a value system that is more conservative. What's it like being on the campus of University of Michigan, knowing that you're probably surrounded by a bunch of a bunch of lefties? Well, it's certainly made for an interesting four years, Joe. Uh, and I've kind of been at the front of it. I'm the chairman of our Young Americans for Freedom chapter at the University of Michigan. I'm the editor in chief of Michigan Review, which is the conservative paper here on campus. And I'm also a student reporter for the College Fix. And that has given me an exposure to a lot of the liberalism that takes place on campus. It was uh, most apparent to me when our YAF chapter uh, hosted Ben Shapiro in the fall, just last semester. And it was a great time. It was an immensely fulfilling bit of work, but uh, it didn't come out come without any of the backlash uh, that so many of these events often have. There was an op-ed in our school newspaper about two weeks before the event that argued that uh, the university should cancel the event. And, you know, thank God for the First Amendment. There was no indication the university actually wanted to do that, that the yeah. administration actually wanted to cancel the event. But even if they wanted to, they couldn't, thanks to our free speech rights. Um, and we, my board of our chapter, we actually had a discussion on how we wanted to respond to it. And we knew that we would milk it for publicity. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thankfully, they got more students talking about it and more students interested in it. But overall, we decided that we were going to persevere and we were going to prove them wrong. They said in the op-ed that they, this event would lead to violence and uh, would threaten the safety of students. And we decided we were just going to work as hard as we possibly could to uh, m- make an event that would further the campus dialogue and bring conservative ideas to campus and expose all the students at the University of Michigan to a new way of thinking. And we did just that. There were no fights, no violence, thankfully. And uh, there's only one student that was particularly problematic uh, was this young lady who was dressed in uh, leather, uh, buttless chaps, and sad clown makeup. She attempted to what? sneak in. Yeah, I'm not joking. <laughs> she attempted to sneak in a bag of frozen condoms into the event, presumably okay. to, to throw during the speech, and security confiscated them, and they still let her in. And surprisingly, she did not come and ask a question or engage civilly in debate. She actually went into a bathroom and graffitied it with a lot of lewd stuff about Ben Shapiro. It's also odd to me. It's Charles Hillu. He is a, um, a student at University of Michigan. He's also a reporter for the College Fix. I'm glad that you're openly conservative on campus and unafraid. You should be able to. But what I don't understand, and maybe you can fill me in because you, you rub elbows with these people on campus, why, why does the left claim to be anti-fascist while doing everything they can to shut down any other opinions other than their own? That's clearly fascist. Why do people like that go in graffiti or want to throw frozen condoms when clearly that is against what they claim that they're for. If they really want free speech, it's got to be free speech for all of us, not just what they believe. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who believes that they're right and and because they're right, because they believe freedom, they should be able to shut down anybody's voice? Did they ever make a, a case to you that made any sense at all? Well, as you can imagine, the people who believe that conservative students should really not have a voice on the campus are not 
as likely to engage with conservative students as uh, the the uh, the the inverse might be. Right. Uh, it's you know it's it's a it's a belief that essentially that that speech is violence. That this what you say if you say something that uh, disagrees with the prevailing leftist or leftist orthodoxy, then you're somehow threatening people's safety. And uh, you know I've had many conversations with uh, liberals on campus, and you know we've both left uh, the conversation unbloodied. So. You know, I'm Good. happy to say that, uh, you know, words are just not violence. Well, they're not violence, and that's obvious. And what is it that Ben Shapiro has ever said or that you've ever said or I've ever said that they can point to saying, see, that's violent? Do they ever make a case? Uh, there, there, there are sometimes. It's, it's generally stuff taken out of context or things that, you know, if you go into it with this mindset of this person is a fascist, this person is a horrible white supremacist, then you're going to read something uh, out of context as something terrible, but generally it's just not fascist at all. Well, of course it's not. And they're being fascist in their tactics to try to shut down speech. Literally, the First Amendment is only there because we disagree. If we all agreed on everything, it wouldn't have been necessary. It's necessary to protect speech that you don't like. And and they need to get that through their heads. And they go, these are all college-educated uh, people that just simply don't get it. Or... They, they walked in without this this sort of indoctrination and then received it from the professors on campus. Uh, let's get into the stories because it, it goes further into what we're talking about. It's, uh, again, Charles Hilo, he is from the College Fix, goes to school. He's he's a Wolverine. You're a Wolverine. Are you proud to be a Wolverine? I'm proud. I'm especially proud of the uh, Big Ten Championship that our football team just just won. See, now, I don't I don't want you any sports anymore. As, as soon as Colin Kaepernick started flopping around on the on the on, on the sideline, I, I decided I was done with until until unless they stop all the all the political garbage, I, I probably won't go back. But congratulations on that. I don't know what what Michigan State did uh, did this year. To be honest with you, um, University of Michigan Union demands abortion funds and no cops. Okay, so what? And again. Who are the, why are people making demands? Maybe we can start in a very generic way. When you go to college, you're going there to learn something, get, get an education that will help you to succeed in life. You don't go to college to start demanding things of the college. I, when did this even start happening? It didn't happen when I was in school, but that's 40 years ago. Well, this particular union, it's called the Graduate Employees Organization. Generally, as a student at the University of Michigan, you're going to have your big campus lecture halls with 200 people where a professor is uh, just talking nonstop almost for an hour and a half. And that's usually going to be supplemented by a smaller discussion section with around 20 people. And that's going to be taught by a graduate student instructor. And that's who the union represents along with uh, employed graduate uh, researchers. These are essentially graduate students who are also uh, pursuing an education, but they are also employed by the university in some capacity. And in exchange, they're given tuition waivers as well as uh, a, a stipend that helps them with living expenses. And uh, they, they have a uh, collective bargaining agreement with the university that they negotiate a new one every few years. And this year is the time that they negotiate this new collective bargaining contract. And uh, they have some typical union demands, such as higher pay, more benefits. And that's just in a, a union's nature that they're going to try and ask for that. But there are some rather interesting, to say the least, demands in this particular round of demands. There was, as you said, the uh, uh, the demand to defund the police, to replace it with this community-led, unarmed task force, as well as uh, an abortion fund, and also uh, free transgender surgeries and uh, more accessible transgender surgeries. They wanted to take away the uh, the the requirement that was in place that uh, you had to be uh, diagnosed with gender dysphoria by 
a medical professional, they wanted to take that requirement away and make it much easier for their members to get these these types of surgeries. So unbelievably stupid. I got to be honest with you. It's just the, the whole thing's just dumb. Hopefully they won't get what they're asking for. But let me just ask you this, because I know the big house at, at University of Michigan holds 105,000 people. We know the campus is uh, the campus is huge. Thousands and thousands of people there at all times. Why wouldn't you want safety? Why wouldn't why wouldn't you want somebody that could in fact stop a rapist or somebody who's who's carjacking you or maybe trying to break into your dorm room? What what exactly is the argument that police are bad? Because I don't remember anybody being killed on the on the University of Michigan campus because of police brutality. Right. The the argument is uh, generally a lot of these are is a lot of sloganeering, unfortunately. So. A lot of the idea is that the police, if there is some sort of, uh, you know, a, a lot of times what they bring up is uh, a mental health issue or a ment- someone having a mental health crisis. They're, right. uh, you know, upset that that uh, could potentially end in, uh, you know, the mentally ill person dying, uh, which is a very concern, certainly. And there are con- there are concerns and discussions to be had about how exactly we can best minister to people who are in such terrible scenarios. But I don't know that the solution is necessarily to defund and disarm the police. I mean, there there is crime on campus, is there not? Oh yeah, certainly. There, uh, it, it's it's public information. Uh, there, uh, there's you know breaking into cars. Uh, I've had a number of friends who have cars on campus, uh, and their cars are are broken into. So you know, it's it's certainly necessary that we have police and we have someone to respond to these types of crimes. Of course, uh, it, it's Charles Hillow. He is a uh, reporter from the College Fix, University of Michigan Med uh, Med School's Anesthesiology Department, hosts Critical Race Theory Seminar. To mark MLK Day, and I mentioned this before we started today, MLK would be very, very unhappy with critical race theory. But, but fill me on on how they think this is this is advancing young minds. Well, unfortunately for uh, this particular event, uh, there actually wasn't a planned discussion of critical race theory as the uh, as it relates to anesthesiology. It was just the anesthesiology department discussing critical race theory, and uh, I reported on it for the College Fix, and I and I asked them just what exactly anesthesiology could learn from critical race theory. And uh, the argument was essentially that uh, any any sector of our society, whether it's housing, education, and especially medicine, they said, was uh, touched by racism. And they argued that, you know, you needed a lens to somehow look through, uh, l- look at your institutions, including the, med- the medical profession, and see where racism lies. And uh, what they brought up was uh, this EGFR, it's uh, this medical uh, calculation that I can't pronounce. It has something, it has essentially a determinant of uh, kidney function. And there were these studies when they first uh, created this type of metric back in the late 90s. There was uh, some evidence that it was different among different races. Uh, so the calculations and the metrics of what exactly is a healthy EGFR calculation were different, whether you're white or whether you were black. And uh, in uh, the early 2020s, just a couple of years ago, this was uh, this this particular distinction was taken away. Now, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not a med student. I'm not a medical professional. Yeah. Uh, so I, I can tell you whether that was appropriate or not. But, you know, uh, w- one can only hope that this was done because new evidence came to light rather than for some sort of uh, you know social justice type of goal. Well, I've got to tell you, there is there is no connection whatsoever between, and you know this, critical race theory and anesthesiology, nor even medicine. Critical race theory, we keep being lied to by the left in this country that nobody's teaching critical race theory to kids in public school. It's not being taught. This is a law um, segment in law schools just to take a look at the way race plays a role, if at all, 
in law and in arrests and in prosecutions. This is not supposed to be about medicine. It's not supposed to be about about high school, this, that, or the other. It's only supposed to be specific. We're told this by the left. It's not being taught anywhere. And in fact, it is being taught everywhere. And the connection that they're making is we need racism to still be alive so we can keep on winning elections. This isn't about real racism because the only real racism happening in this country today on a broad sense is radical leftists being racist against white heterosexual Christian men. That's really what's going on in the country. So when you ask about it, they think they're going to shut you down by saying, well, obviously race plays a role. What about kidney function? And then your reaction as a white guy is supposed to be, oh, damn, sorry, I'm not racist. I have black friends. So uh, what, what is their end goal here? Just to indoctrinate everybody that white people are inherently racist, our society is built on racism and on slavery and oppression, and you must accept that or else you, in fact, are a racist. Well, I would say the end goal, it's you know, a way of bringing some sort of larger government, some sort of larger uh, expansion of the welfare state to uh, essentially make people more dependent on government. And we know that you know, throughout, throughout history, what's made America great is not the dependence on government, but actually a self-reliance, a sense of uh, a belief that while it's important for our community and our society and our social fabric to take care of people who, who need help, then it, but it is incumbent upon the individual to care for to care for their own family. And that is something that is necessary or necessary, whether you're white or whether you're black or any other race. And uh, so I think that in many ways, this is a betrayal of what the American tradition stands for. It's interesting because originally, and you know this because you're a smart guy, government was supposed to be small but necessary. Central government in Washington was was supposed to be almost a non-entity, just a sort of an add-on. The government was really supposed to be focused on the individual states. And we've got to push, as you said, for more power, more control, more of a welfare state because we're reliant on them. Then we look to them to be our God, look to them to be our job, look to them to be our food supplier and so on. So that's really what this is. Are people your age learning at places like University of Michigan? Michigan, that government, the power of government was supposed to be in the states, and the central government was supposed to be small but necessary. Well, it, it's it's very difficult to you know give a monolithic assessment, uh, so I can only speak in general terms. Sure. I, I'm you know I'm I'm a political science major, so uh, I especially am interested in political theory. So that the the in, original intentions of the founders are certainly taught, uh, and uh, you know you can you can hope that uh, you have a professor who does make the case. I've had professors who have made the case, uh, you know, and done it pretty well and explained exactly why the founders wanted to do this. But I've also had um, uh, professors who have said that, you know, these, this is a, a terrible system and there's just no justification for it. I'm with you. I think you're right. And uh, and I wish people would would awaken. Maybe go read the Federalist Papers. Maybe go read the, the actual intent of the Constitution. It's Charles Hillo. He is a, a reporter from the College Fix, goes to school at University of Michigan. Uh, quickly on this last, we're not going to need a lot of time on this. This is obvious. Tell the people watching and listening what the percentage of election contributions are um, when it comes from Michigan faculty, whether they go to Democrats or Republicans. What's the percentages there? Well, according to a report that we did with the College Fix, 96% of uh, election contributions federally went to Democrats. What? Uh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it, in many ways it, it confirms what we already knew, and that there were there were around two and a half percent that went to Republicans of those contributions, and then it was about one point five percent that went to kind of these bipartisan committees as well. And like I said, this confirms mainly what we already knew uh, that generally the you know overwhelming skew of uh, professors what they, they they lean left and they lean toward the toward the Democratic Party. And uh, it's important that we have the have a uh, uh, a sense of intellectual diversity that uh, we are able to 
ensure that there are some conservatives, at the very least some conservatives who are who have professorships and are teaching the youth who are going to go on to run the institutions of this country. You know, the idea is about freedom, like you said, Joe, about the, you know, the size and scope of government, as well as traditional values and the necessity for a strong national defense. Uh, Charles, wait a second. The left says they want equity. Equity is somehow evening the playing field, uh, according to them. It's not really. I mean, equity is really uh, a, some sort of equality and outcome, which is, is socialism. But they say they want equity. They want diversity, DEI. How can you have 96% going to Democrats? It's almost like the NBA that's got 70 or 80% black players. If they, we really wanted diversity in DEI and equity, we would, we would in fact have that everywhere. They don't really want it everywhere, do, do they? Uh, the, sec- the little secret that's not very secret is that they really just want everything to go their way. And if we call it something like DEI or, or fill in the blank uh, wokeness, then they can they can say you're a racist if you disagree. The, the obvious fact is they're, they're not really for equity or DEI. They're for more things being like them. Well, that that's certainly how it manifests itself, at least. And uh, we can kind of judge the tree by, by its fruits here where uh, the DEI uh, bureaucracy at the University of Michigan, we actually have the largest DEI bureaucracy of any major university, and they have done studies on this. The university itself has, and according to their own data, uh, as this type of DEI bureaucracy has gone up, student happiness and student satisfaction has gone down. Imagine that. Yeah, and I think (laughs) a large part of that is because this focus on racial diversity, which it's important often, oftentimes this does manifest itself well, where they're trying to bring in uh, high schoolers from... uh, disadvantaged backgrounds who have the potential to succeed at the University of Michigan. They need a little bit of help. But oftentimes it uh, it it doesn't manifest the way it should in terms of intellectual diversity. I think the way that you know these these types of DEI efforts really, really fail is like you said, uh, they 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 create an overwhelmingly left wing bureaucracy and they don't allow conservatives a voice in it. Exactly right. It's Charles Hilo, he's a reporter from the College Fix. Go to the collegefix.com. Charles, thanks man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Joe. All right, brother. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pag Show. But I don't have any time for that. We appreciate you stopping by today. We appreciate the campus fix, or the, uh, the college fix, I should say. Uh, and also appreciate uh, Apollo and Sam and, and Kerry. Thank you for joining us. Back tomorrow. Don't miss a, a second of it. Joe Pag Show coming right back. Take care. This is the Joe Pag Show.